Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey everyone, uh, so this is a special day. I'm, I'm sure you felt that when you got up this morning, you went, ooh, this is a special day, even if you didn't know why. Well, it's because today is the first Sunday in which I am preaching as a commissioned pastor in our denomination. Uh, previously, I was operating essentially as a guest speaker, which means that everything I said before can be dismissed as just the ramblings of a rogue possibly heretical wandering preacher. Uh, But now it's officially authorized by classes, so it's their problem. Uh, Which is good for me because today's topic is usually not the most well-liked. We're talking about God's justice. In modern Christianity, we really want to talk more about God's love and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness, and not so much about his justice and his wrath and his jealousy But you really can't understand anything about Christianity until you come to terms with his justice. So open up your Bibles if you have them to Psalm 50. This is a continuation of the sermon series on Psalms. And in a way, this is going to be a two-parter. Next week, Pastor Ryan's going to be talking about God's grace. So we're sort of good cop, bad cop in it. Okay, so here we go. Psalm 50. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I will bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice Thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. But to the wicked person, God says, What right have you to recite my laws, or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. When you did these things and I kept silent, you thought I was exactly like you. But I now arraign you and set my accusations before you. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation. I wrote a book, uh, some of you may remember back in 2011, called The Fine Print of Christianity, where I was looking at the big ideas of Christianity along with the underlying realities. Uh, So the chapter's titles would be things like, uh, Jesus loves you, but he'll send you to hell. Or, uh, God has a plan, but you may not like it. 
Well, one of the chapters was God is just, but life's not fair. Life's not fair. We feel that. We experience that even as Christians. We see that. You have God-fearing couples struggling with infertility while millions of babies are aborted. That doesn't seem right. You know, hurricanes or tornadoes rip through churches and Christ-centered homes while places of debauchery remain untouched. We've seen that. That doesn't seem fair. You know, people who love Christ have, have suffered devastating diagnoses and disease and death while people who hate God live healthy lives. That doesn't seem just. Well, thankfully, the word of God speaks to this repeatedly. Uh, Jeremiah said, Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? And Habakkuk complained, Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. And in our reading plan, we looked at Psalm 11, and it says this, in the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? David believes in God. He trusts in God, that God is his refuge, that God is just and good. And yet David is being oppressed. He's being hunted, and it feels like the whole world is falling apart, right? The foundations are being destroyed. Do you feel like that sometimes? I think that we can easily look around at our world, at our culture, at our nation, and just feel like it's all falling apart. Our culture is so dark and blind and antagonistic toward God, antagonistic toward righteousness, antagonistic toward Christianity, antagonistic toward Christians, right? The arrows are coming. They're set against the strings. Doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem fair. Doesn't seem good. And that's what's happening to David. It doesn't seem right. David is a good man. You know, that's one of the arguments against God, that, that bad things happen to good people, right? If God is God, he is not just. If God is just, he is not God, because bad things happen to good people. That's essentially the argument. But notice that we've already rendered a verdict. We're saying this is bad, and this person is good. We're acting as judge. And so the question is, is our judgment right? You know, we tend to think of goodness as a matter of degree. You know, that God is 100% good and we're maybe 75% good, 80% good, 90% good if you're a commissioned pastor. But when the Bible talks about goodness, it often speaks of it in terms of nature. God is good. That's what we say. We, we don't mean that he's behaving himself. We mean that God is is the standard by which we measure goodness. God is the embodiment of righteousness. God is justice incarnate. God is intrinsically good, like the tuning fork is intrinsically in tune. That's what it means to be good. 
right? Being 75% on pitch means nothing. And being 75% good also means nothing. That's just gibberish. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians that we are by nature objects of wrath. Jesus says no one is good except God alone. Paul restates in Romans, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who does good, not even one. Isaiah says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. David says, I was sinful at birth. The Christian contention is that every single one of us is deserving of hell. That's the premise. Every single one of us is deserving of hell. Nothing else in Christianity makes any sense until we come to terms with that. We call Jesus our Savior because he saves us from hell. And if Jesus is saving you from anything other than hell, then you don't understand Christianity. We are by nature objects of wrath. We are deserving of hell. So in essence, a bad thing happening to a good person has never happened. Actually, I I take that back. It has happened once in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus was good, actually good, lived a perfect life and was betrayed, abandoned, beaten, mocked, spat upon, whipped, humiliated, crucified. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. Life's not fair. Oh, thank God. See, if God's justice was was merely about what we deserved, uh, then we're all in trouble. If our understanding of God's justice is just about retribution or comeuppance or just deserts, then mercy is a subversion of justice and grace a perversion. But God, who is just, is wrathful and merciful and gracious. Justice is the administering of righteousness. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story of a king who wanted to settle accounts. So he calls in a servant who owed him a large sum of money, but the servant can't pay, and so he begs the master for mercy. And the king acts in grace and forgives him all the debt. And then it says this, But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now that's a lesson for us in forgiveness, but it's also an example of justice. The king was just in his mercy and grace, and the king was also just in his retribution and wrath. See, mercy and grace are not in opposition to justice. But rather, in the hands of the perfect judge, they are instruments of justice along with retribution. And that's what we see in the crucifixion. God accounting for sin, punishing our sin, pouring out his wrath on our sin while being merciful and gracious. 
perfectly just because he's perfectly righteous. Justice is about righteousness, not just retribution. Because if getting what you deserve is all justice is, then what we deserve is hell. And that can be strangely so easy to forget. When we complain about God's justice or or wrestle with bad things happening to good people, we're not actually comparing ourselves to God. We're not good relative to God. No one is good relative to God. No, Uh, what we mean is we're good relative to others. We're the people of God. The Holy Spirit has, has dealt with our sin nature and has made us new creations and we can do good things. We're religious. We follow a strict moral code. We go to church. We tithe. We sing the songs. We close our eyes during the prayer. But Jesus says this. He tells us this story, Luke chapter 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and get a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. In our passage in Psalm 50, God is not talking to pagans or heathens or other nations. No, he's talking to his people, to covenant people. Verse 5. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And he's calling them out. Verse 7. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. These are God's people. Consecrated people, covenant people. They have God's law. They speak God's law. And God says to them in verse 16. What right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? Oh, we're not entitled to his law. That's a gift he gives us. And rather than receive it as a gift, they treat it with contempt and live contrary to it. They're thieves and adulterers and slanderers. Oh, they're still doing their religious practices, though, right? Offering sacrifices, and God mocks them for it. Verse 8. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that's in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? They've somehow gotten it into their mind that they're doing God a favor. And God says, you think I need this? I don't need this. I own it all. I own everything. Everything that you're offering me is a gift from me. And I think we can so easily be guilty of that too of thinking that, you know, we're doing God some sort of favor. You know, God, I'm giving up my Sunday mornings for you. 
I'm reading my Bible for you. I'm giving up my hard-earned cash for you. I'm singing songs of praise for you. You're welcome. Like we're doing God a favor. All of this, all of this is a gift from God that we do not deserve. We deserve hell. And he gives us his son. We deserve death. And he gives us life. We deserve to be lost. And he gives us his law. We deserve destitution. And he gives us abundance. We deserve gnashing teeth. And he gives us a mouth full of praise. So the right response is found in Psalm 50. He mentions it twice. Verse 14. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. And call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. And again, he says in verse 23, those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation. The right response to God's justice is thankfulness, because we realize that we don't deserve it, that it's all a gift from him. But that response is easier said than done when living in a fallen world. It can be hard to have gratitude for God's justice when there's so much evil and darkness and wickedness that seems to go unchecked. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know, in The Lord of the Rings by Tolkien, who who was a believer, uh, there's a ring of power that is evil and must be destroyed. And so this band of men and elves and dwarves and hobbits are, are traveling together to destroy the ring. And then Frodo, the hobbit, notices uh, that their company is being tracked by a vile creature called Gollum who wants the ring for himself. And so Frodo says to Gandalf the wizard, he says, it's a pity Bilbo didn't kill Gollum when he had the chance. And Gandalf says, pity. It's a pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death. Some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. Let's go back to Psalm 11, verse 3. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. Even the very wise cannot see all ends, but God does see all ends, and he will render his verdict when all the evidence is in. And what he decrees will be good and just, because the Lord is righteous and he loves justice. Well, don't mistake his silence for approval. Right, Psalm 50, verse 21. When you did these things and I kept silent, you thought I was exactly like you. But I now arraign you and set my accusations before you. Don't mistake his silence for approval. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In Ezekiel, it says this, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? But if a righteous person turns from their righteousness and commits sin and does the same detestable things the wicked person does, will they live? None of the righteous things that person has done will be remembered. Because of the unfaithfulness they are guilty of and because of the sins they have committed, they will die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear you, Israelites, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? God wants people to come to repentance, to turn away from their unrighteousness to righteousness. Don't mistake God's silence for approval. Don't begrudge God his patience. He was patient with you. Don't begrudge God his mercy. He was merciful with you. But take comfort in his justice because he sees all ends and he sits on the throne. Despite a fallen and twisted world, God sits on his throne. In spite of death and illness and destruction, God sits on his throne. In spite of all the evil of mankind, murder and rape and vileness, God sits on his throne. In spite of the horrors in the news, millions of innocents slaughtered, human trafficking, concentration camps, persecution of the church, God sits on his throne. In spite of all those who mock him, deny him, blaspheme him, God still sits on his throne. In spite of all those who deny his truth and call good evil and evil good, God still sits on his throne and he will have the last word. And all of us will agree. And every single mouth will declare that he was good and just when no one else was. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.